If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or are new to the faith, we invite you to join our discussion as we dive into theology, objections to the faith, common questions, and hot topics in an effort to better know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. Good evening, um, or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, welcome, <laughs> and welcome to the Colossians 3.1 podcast. Uh, I am uh, one of your hosts, Jared Jernigan, and to my left, Mr. Zekrumsberg. Mr. Oh, you like that little, little flair to it. Good evening. It is I, Sam Draper. Also fresh out of a Twilight series. <laughs> <laughs> what? Vampire voice. Oh, you watch Twilight you Vampire? Watch, you watch Twilight? Even if you don't watch it, you know the show. No. Uh, no, my wife doesn't make me do those things. <laughs> You're not even aware of it at all. And my name is Barrett, and I'm Sorry. the manliest man in the room. <laughs> Okay, I, I will say I've not I've not watched Twilight, but I know it's not that kind of vampire. <laughs> it's not that kind of well. Actually, there are some of the Italians talk like that in the movie. So I have this seen episode. Them all. We're going to talk about anyway. We're talking about Jesus. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, you know we we we've, we've discussed some things in recent weeks. We're kind of taking a uh, a different turn this week. Uh, and I guess just if I could share a little bit, um, when I was in college, I, I took some religion classes, and I went out and got this HarperCollins study Bible, and it had all these books I'd never heard of before, growing up uh, a Protestant as I did. So, you know, I, I found, you know, the Maccabees, all these books about them. There's uh, Judith and Estras, various things, you know, some pretty interesting stuff in some of these. And so it brings the question, why are these books... Known as, some of these known as the Apocrypha, and then some even weirder ones known as the Pseudepigrapha, and I'll let, I'll let some of you guys uh, tell me what those words mean. Why aren't they in my Bible? How did, how did the Bible as we have it end up that way? So there's this meme that came across, um, not in a funny meme way, but in a just dumb ideas that get shared and repeated often that I saw on Twitter recently, um, basically saying that the Council of Nicaea voted on the books of the Bible. And uh, kind of drawing on, if you remember that uh, Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code oh, yes, yes. Uh, stuff from way back when, that you know the, the church was trying to suppress these these other minority views and and use the power of um, of uh, Constantine, Emperor Constantine to silence dissent. It's just so much nonsense. So much nonsense. Um, the Council of Nicaea did not vote on the books of the New Testament. Uh, the uh, the canon, C A N O N. Not the thing that shoots out a, a, a cannonball. I was trying to think of the fancy word there, but um, <laughs> the uh, 
the canon was uh, formed over over a period of time, going all the way back to the apostles. And the canon is the the authoritative accepted books of the Bible. Okay. So for the Protestants, we open our Bibles, there's 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament, that is the canon. They're, we consider them the inspired, authoritative scriptures. Um, where other books of, of, you know, for example, there's a, a book called the Didache. Very early, um, maybe like second generation believers, okay, very, very early, Good stuff. Stuff that agrees with scripture. With the canon. But we don't consider it authoritative. We don't preach from the Didache. Quote from the Didache. It's like, oh, you know, my, my point is valid because the Didache said so. No, we say the Didache is valid because it agrees with what's in the New Testament. So that's what it means to be canon. And there were other writings like the Didache as well as some others that were not accepted as canon because the early church pretty quickly uh, developed some criteria for what it may, means to be authoritative for the for the church. Um, so so here's some of the some of the criteria. Uh, books that were had apostolic authority. So the original disciples of Jesus were called the apostles, okay? Uh, minus, of course, Judas, you know, you had the 11. <clears throat> and then you had Paul, who was considered an apostle to the Gentiles. So these were people who had a direct experience with the risen Christ. Either they saw him immediately after, you know, after the crucifixion, three days, he rose again. They saw him then. Or the Apostle Paul, because he had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus, as well as um, other experiences with the risen Christ. So, this book of the Bible, did the writer, was, was he an apostle? Or was he in some way associated with an apostle? So, Matthew, apostle. Mark, not an apostle. But he was a disciple first of Paul and then ultimately of Peter. And we think he got a lot of his information from Peter. Luke, not an apostle. But he was a, was a uh, companion of the apostle Paul. And he went and interviewed uh, a lot of the believers. How, how did he get all the stories about the birth? Probably he interviewed Mary at some right. point. So is there a connection with an apostle? Or is it a second, you know, second or third generation uh, writing? But not only that, does it teach orthodox doctrine? Um, so you have some books of books that are like the Gospel of Thomas. This is an example of a pseudepigrapha. That you mentioned. Pseudo meaning false. Graphia being writing. False writing. Um, so somebody wrote under a different name. So somebody claimed to be the Apostle Thomas. And wrote this thing. Yet 
it doesn't agree with the rest of it's a it's was considered gnostic writing from and agnostics were uh agnostic means knowledge people believe they had a secret knowledge that uh if you're special in the know you can learn the secret knowledge it's not given to anybody and they also believe that the flesh was evil okay that uh, higher planes of existence were spiritual. Now, think about what that would mean for the resurrection. You know, the Gnostics would say that Jesus didn't actually physically rise from the dead. Because, ooh, that would... Why would he rise in a lower form of existence? So he would rise as a spiritual being. The other church took these Gnostic false pseudopigrapha writings and said, No, that's not what we believe. Get those out of here. Um, and then the third criteria. So apostolic authority, orthodox doctrine. The third criteria is broad-based acceptance. So you, you know, you have the entire Middle East. Okay. Paul would write a letter to Ephesus. That letter would get copied and then passed along to Laodicea or Corinth or Rome. So you have these copies floating around. Well, if 90% of the of the church said, yeah, we, we got we got uh, we got Ephesians, we know Ephesians, okay. But if like one church off in the boonies say, hey, we got we got a letter to to uh, you know from Paul to the boondocks, okay, well, none of us have that one, so we're going to, you know, we're going to dismiss that. And uh, a majority of the New Testament easily fell into these criteria. Some of the New Testament, it was debated. And like, eh, well, okay, maybe like 70% of the church has 2 Timothy. Do we, do we accept it or not? And, and don't quote me on that number. I'm sure, using sure. that number's illustration. Um, so, like, Hebrews, because we don't actually know the author, all right, but Hebrews mentions Timothy, Timothy, the associate of Paul, as well as it teaches, it agrees with the rest of the New Testament writings, so it's in. Right. Anything... To add, there's that. Yeah, a lot, but I mean, you, you, I mean, you were solid. so basically we, we covered you covered the New Testament, really. Right. Yeah. So I still have questions about the New Testament, though. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ask him, please. Why? Why do we get four accounts of Jesus' life? And I know this could be a whole different rabbit trail, but <laughs> yeah. Well, short answer is different audiences. Okay. No. Okay. So. My counter question would be, what's it have to do with whether or not it's in the canon or not? Well, that's fair. <laughs> it's just something I thought of. Yeah. And I, I have some answers, but that's not the role I'm filling here. So. <laughs> well, it can be. Well, I, yeah, I understand that. I understand. Yeah. The, so, the, so, I mean, r real quickly, uh, the, the canonical, the, uh, the gospel issues, uh, a lot of people believe Mark was written first. Um, and there's debate on that. Okay. I was going to say, I would debate that. But okay. Personally. Uh, but, um, but you'd have a, a common source that Matthew and Luke 
seem to seem to share in addition to Mark. It's called Q. Okay. Um, Q is not a document we have. It's not, you're not gonna find, oh, you know, show me, you know, the book of Q. Um, Q is is possibly just this oral stories that got passed around that both Matthew and Luke said, oh, Mark didn't include that or or they felt the need to include this and then Mark came along later and said, eh, let me shorten it up here. But um, Matthew tends to, to seem to be towards more of a Jewish Christian audience. He's got a lot of references to, uh, to the Old Testament. Luke it, he tells us he's writing to Theophilus, which is a Greek name. Um, so he, a lot of his writing seems more geared towards a Greek audience. Mm, sure. Um, is a lot, some people believe that Mark was written more towards a Roman audience, being that uh, history places him in Rome with Peter in Peter's final, final days. And then John comes last of all. He's like, oh, these guys missed a lot. <laughs> so let me let me include some other stuff here. Um, that's the, the very quick version, but it could be a whole episode. You had some more comments on the New Testament, Zach. Well, I think, you know, one of the questions that, like, like you asked, why are these books in? Or did you ask why are the ones not in? Which, which I guess I ask why are they not in, but I feel like the two questions wrap up with each other. I do. I always so. counter with, well, let's, why, what you really ought to be wondering is why the ones aren't in versus in. Anyway, the same sure, answer to sure, both sure. questions. But right. in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word, uh, Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God, is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, instructing, yada, yada, yada. The word used is theonoustos in the Greek. And a lot of people think it means that God breathed in to the writers of the New Testament. They're inspired, right? They're inspired under the power of the Holy Spirit writing Scripture. The, it actually means breathed out. Okay, We have established in numerous podcasts that God is unchanging. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all good, all this, that, and the other, right? We've, we've established a lot of things in these podcasts about who God is. If God cannot change, God is all-knowing, and God is the author of Scripture, okay? The ultimate, he's the primary cause. The human authors are the secondary cause. They're the vessel in which his word was made manifest to us, mm -hmm. okay, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Therefore, an all-knowing, all-powerful, unchanging God, how many times can he be wrong in his word? Zero. Zero. Okay. All the books that are in the canon, the 66 books of the Bible, have no historical errors. They have no theological errors. There's no error in them in, in terms of reliability in that what he said was going to happen happened, and in some cases, things are still yet to happen, we know. Sure. But... Everything that was prophesied that was going to happen about the coming Messiah, as well as other worldly events, have happened when he said they were going to happen. And again, I'm not saying everything in the Bible is complete. We know that's not true. We're still awaiting the second coming. But, in other events. However, in the Apocrypha, in the Pseudepigrapha, on top of the fact that they... Go ahead. 
What's apocrypha? Yeah, just just, it's just, just give... it's all these false writings. It's all these just just mark them under the same category. They were they were written during the intertestamental period. Okay, um, which, which is... is in between the Old Testament and the New <laughs> Testament. Okay, they were actually they weren't even added to the to a Bible until the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church added it in like the 1600s. That's when it got added. Okay. Um, it actually is found in the Septuagint, which we've talked about, is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Jesus quoted, I think we talked about that maybe as well, but if not, it's the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's even in there. It's not in there. No Jew, I guess it was not widely accepted as a whole by the Jews as divinely inspired. It's included in the Septuagint as a historical account. Um, you have books like First and Second Maccabees, which actually help confirm a lot of things in biblical history. They're, they're a very accurate account of history, although there's, there are errors in them. But how can you have a book in the Bible, just put very simply, that has errors in it, that is supposedly inspired by an errorless God who cannot err, cannot lie, cannot change. You, you can't, can't have it. So, you know, Sam wrapped off just a few of the, you know, um, qualifications for the New Testament. The same really apply for the Old Testament. So they have what's called the seven P's of canonization, okay? And just because I can't always remember them because there's a lot of P's. Prophetic principle, right? There's a, there's an element of prophecy. And only God is 100% right all the time in prophecy. There's other books that claim to be prophetic, but those events never come to pass or they've been wrong. God's never wrong. You have the patristic principle, the early church fathers. So if you go back and look at Irenaeus, Ignatius, Polycarp, those that immediately followed John, Clement of Rome, all these, the early church fathers, you get 36,000 quotations of nearly every single book in the Bible, but two by 150 AD. Okay. They don't, now the early church fathers also quote Can you say that again? The early church fathers, okay, first, second century, and it goes on through the Middle Ages, but if you go back as far as you can to the disciples that immediately followed John, okay, mm -hmm. Polycarp was a disciple of John. Okay. Okay. We don't need names, but Okay, but it. when you get, when you, when you go through their quotes, you know, they quote, there's over 36,000 citations, quotes of Scripture, in every single book of the Bible, but two by 150 A.D. Yeah. Okay. So that's, and, and that's, that's an Old Testament, or just, that's the Bible. The whole thing. The so whole thing. that's 60 years after John's wrote Revelation and died. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so in other words, it's not in the not 300 years later. Constantine saying, "All yeah. right, we we need to justify this uh, this belief system." So somebody writes something. Yeah. And claim it to be from Paul. So then you have what's known as the power principle. Does the book have the power to change life? Does it claim to be authoritative? Okay, that can help get a book in. People of God principle. Did the early church accept the book as the word of God? The past truth principle. Compares book to other accepted books considered as truth. So you compare scripture to scripture. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. The Petrine principle. Okay, Petrine is referencing Peter. Do the apostles accept the book as truth? Does it have Petrine authority? Did Peter acknowledge it? Did Peter write it? Whatever. And then you have the Pauline principle. Paul references do this and other. Those are all, along with the examples that Sam gave, and there's other certain criteria too, but first and foremost, a God who is perfect and is unchanging and is all-knowing cannot possibly have Scripture 
that has errors in it. And you have in the pseudepigraphy, we, you know, Sam mentioned the Gospel of Thomas, which is a bunch of supposed sayings of Jesus compiled. Yet, no, you know, it was written under false pretenses, of course, and all this, that, and the other. But if the early church didn't quote it, if the apostles didn't quote it, if Jesus, Jesus never quotes the Apocrypha, the Jews never accepted the Apocrypha as divine, it was rejected. And it was later, it was added later. So how, you know, a book of Enoch is a popular one, and it's supposedly about the life of Enoch, the untold story of Enoch in the Bible, right? Now, now isn't there in Jude? Yes, like, Jude references a, a non-canonical book. That, that yeah, is fact. Yeah, forget which one that it, it was. That is fact. However, Jude is not an apostle. No apostle and or Jesus ever referenced a non-canonical book. And the reference what Jude makes, I'm forgetting the book itself, the apocryphal book they said, but the example is, is that at the time of Moses' death, Satan and Michael, I believe it was Michael the archangel, maybe in Gabriel, I, I'm, forgive me, but one of the archangels fought with Lucifer over the body of Moses. And that is recorded in an apocryphal book. So Sam mentioned that, I think it was roughly about the time of Revelation being written, I believe, somewhere around 90 AD, there was, the, it was mainly the Jews kind of came together and to challenge some of the accepted books in the Old Testament. A very important point on why books are in the Bible is because God chose them. People didn't choose them. It doesn't matter if, you know, You've mentioned Marcion and other, you know, he had his idea of what the canon should be, and then he was followed by another somebody, and they had, you know, they left a book out here, they decided to leave a book out here. But God, in his infinite wisdom, the books that are in the Bible were always going to be the books in the Bible. It wasn't because man decided it was a good idea to be in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, the preservation and the things that happened with manuscripts and the authoritative nature of Scripture. Is, is up to God. Um, God used man to make it happen. God used man to make it happen. Right. So you had Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and Esther and Ezekiel Proverbs in the Old Testament that were challenged for various silly reasons. You know, you had Hebrews, as you mentioned. James is, was fought because there's supposedly contradictions with James and Galatians, which aren't contradictions at all. They're just Peter, the authorship, Jude, because he quoted a, a, a non-canonical book. There's various, there's various things there, but the, the, the main thing that I try to tell people, because I, I get asked about this a lot, why, how come nobody talks about the book of Enoch or the gospel of Mary or the gospel of Thomas? How can we trust the Bible? How can we Bible? trust the Bible is actually it and we're not being left out all of this other stuff? And for me, it's really simple because I don't want anything less than a perfect God. So I can't trust a book that isn't perfect. And perfect whether or not it's historical data, whether or not it's doctrine, whether it's there. And but not necessarily saying every apocrypha or whatever book that's not in the Bible was. It, one of those books may have been quote unquote perfect, right? But it still wasn't. Uh, Depends on the what you mean by perfect. You know what I mean? Historically accurate, and and none and of them are. Not even first and second Maccabees is a hundred percent historically. So you're accurate. saying every single, every single book that was considered to be in the Bible that is not in the Bible, is incorrect in some manner. Yeah, and no, and none of them claim to be the authoritative, inerrant, 
inspired word of God. They don't claim that yeah. for themselves. And um, that see that that's that. I mean, that's nice. And, and there's no prophetic element to them. So and, how can and, it come from God? Right. And there's, and it doesn't mean there's not something to learn. Absolutely. Like, for example, I've got on my desk here, and and it's uh, a series of books called the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Basically, the the church fathers before the Council of Nicaea. And, yeah. So Polycarp, Irenaeus, the ones uh, we were talking about there. These are these are second, third generation Christians. Okay, like Polycarp sat at the feet of the Apostle John. He's got some stuff to say. Now I disagree with him. Uh, like he and Irenaeus go on and on about the the authority of the bishop. Which yeah, there's issues, but yeah, but there's also gospel there, and to to hear the way that there are their early church fathers were thinking through things and asking questions and responding to opposition. Um, and, and these were guys who, who died for their faith, Polycarp and Irenaeus, yeah. uh, uh, basically in the Colosseum at Rome. Wow. You know, uh, I, was it Irenaeus? No, I think it was Polycarp. said, 80, 80 and three years I've served Christ and he hasn't let me down. Why would I? Why would I deny him now? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> beautiful, powerful, but at, that's not the foundation of you know what I'm what I'm trusting on about Jesus. Well, to me, you having something like that isn't that much different than you know, like who's your favorite modern Christian author? You know, yeah, whoever. I mean, you know, Max Lucado, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, okay, that's fine. It's not the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Now it, it does, it does get interesting if you know you have somebody who is coming up with some new explanation of the gospel or or some new whether it's a new illustration or phrasing or simply a new theology, like oh, so nobody in two thousand years thought that. You might want to rethink that one. You know, so going back to say like, okay, we're the early church fathers, they, you know, which elements of the atonement did they focus on? Because the atonement is, we mentioned at the end and we promise we will get to it. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. It's like a diamond. You, you turn the diamond in a three-dimensional diamond, you're going to see the light reflected in different ways. Different parts of history use different illustrations to try to explain the atonement. And you see that transition throughout history. It's like, okay, that's interesting. And, and so, one other thing I want, want to add, um, you know, because, again, that meme that keeps going out there, that basically Constantine had his, had his thumb on the scales to influence the church. Um, the Muratorian Canon was a list of New Testament books considered authoritative uh, from uh, where, uh, 180 AD. Yeah, no later than 200, yeah. Yeah. 
So, Constantine, 300s. So, it was long, long before the Roman... Back when the Roman Emperor was trying to persecute and kill the Christians, mm. they, uh, the Muratorian canon lists 22 of the 27 books. Okay? Um, so, these were already seen as authoritative way back then. And we can't forget to point out, too, all of the Old Testament books that Jesus referenced when he spoke. Well, that's an excellent point. That's an, and that was that was one of the points I was saying is that Jesus doesn't reference the pseudepigrapha or the apocrypha, but ninety times Jesus himself said it is written. I mean that the New Testament says it is written. It's a reference to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. the Bible itself claims that it's inspired, and Paul, Jesus, Peter, they they reference other writings and other books that other authors of the Bible wrote and they claim that they're authoritative. They mm-hmm. claim that they're the word of God. So yeah, it's an excellent it's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Jared, what questions do you not have fulfilled? <laughs> I, I I don't know well I guess I'm still caught up. I do understand um why why these books are not accepted as part of as part of the bible um and i understand you know what whatever we call them i still am interested in there is a difference you know functionally between the the apocrypha and the pseudepigrapha so why are there some that do accept the apocryphal books because i mean because you know to answer i guess to give a short answer to barrett's question earlier the pseudepigrapha, like, I think pretty much everybody agrees, that's out. The apocrypha, there are some denominations that are like, well, okay, we'll, well, it's we'll, we'll, it, keep, we'll keep we'll, Maccabees. I'll, I'll, dec- I'll decline okay. to go to Sam, but I, for my, it's, there's more history. The Jews accepted it as, as a historical nature. Okay. Yeah, because, like, for example, in Maccabees, you know, that's, that's where we find about, about Hanukkah. Sure. That was in the Maccabean Revolt, that mm-hmm. this uh, lamp did not run out of oil over over a period of time. So it's important to the Jewish people, and we are, um, uh, as inheritors of the salvation from Jesus, who was a Jew, so some denominations say, okay, let's respect that for what what the Jews include. But it is, you don't get doctrine from the Apocrypha. Sure. And I think that, now you can't don't quote me on this because because this is not some expertise, but I think there are some things that the Catholic Church holds on to that really find their basis in um, in the Apocrypha. Um, I but that was it's been a while, so so I'm gonna just leave it at that. That you, you don't. We we read the apocrypha. It's not sinful to read. It's no read it for history, but don't get your doctrine from it. Yeah, it and is. And where the apocrypha disagrees with the New Testament and the Old Testament, say okay, and move on, just like you would all these other books in my office here that are not the Bible. Yeah. Great point. Okay, and again. Uh... Did you lose it? I lost Went it. Right off the top. I lost it. Well, if I, I actually... Just on the tip of your mustache. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish um, I had a good comeback, but I really... 
Well, I guess uh, we, we probably are about out of time. Um, honestly, as we've been talking, I've been trying to come up with a scripture. I don't think I found the one I wanted, but I think one I still like that maybe we can, you know, um, maybe put a point on this. I feel like the reason these are included, yes, because it was God's will, and we also can trust they've been tested. And so, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul writes, uh, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. I think we can hold fast to what we have in the Bible because it has been tested. Yeah. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. So, thanks for joining. Yeah. Yeah, we will uh, catch you next time.